Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. Good morning. Thank you. For three of you, the rest of you, it will get better. Hold on. All right. Uh, it is good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, as Rick said, I'm Pastor Joe. I've had the privilege the last two years of working in wildfire uh, ministries with our middle schoolers. And, thank you. <laughs> I love them. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, beginning in the fall, uh, I think Bob Booby shared last week, uh, my wife and I will be moving into the high school ministry and just excited to stay in student ministry. And we've been doing this for uh, 20, over 20 years now. Uh, started when I was seven. That's amazing. And uh, we love uh, working with students and just the, the joy that that is. And, uh, but this morning, I'm thankful to be with you. Uh, thankful for those who are joining us live. I know our campus in Bel Air is here. People all over the world dial this up every week. And this week, uh, we have a group in Petoskey. New Hope uh, Community Church Petoskey is with us. So let's welcome all of those people uh, to our service this morning. Uh, the last, uh, since, since March, I've had the privilege of preaching there in New Hope Petoskey almost every Sunday. So some of you were wondering about my church attendance. It's actually been very good, just at another campus. And, uh, but, it, but I love being back here and, and thankful to have this chance to share with you out of Malachi. So if you want to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we are going to dive in, and one of the things we do in Wildfire is uh, we often have a student come up and read the, kind of the key scripture for the morning, and in just a moment, I'll have you all stand, we'll read the scripture, uh, Lauren's going to do that, Lauren, come on up wherever you are, there she is, when she's done, she's going to say, may the Lord bless the reading of his word, and you are going to say, amen, and then you may be seated, so would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Malachi 2, 7 through 8. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned away from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. As we uh, jump into Malachi 2, uh, we know kind of contextually where we're coming out of with Pastor Craig's message last week uh, about authentic worship or, or the lack of it. Uh, Israel is in trouble right now. And, and, and the indictments that are coming out through Malachi are, are severe. And uh, this morning, uh, while certainly uh, the prophet directs his words to the priests, the, the leaders, the, the pastors, the shepherds of the flock, uh, we would be foolish to think that is all, that, that that's the scope of his audience. Uh, in fact, I think of Peter's words in 1 Peter 2 where he says, you, meaning you believers, if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sins, you now are part of the priesthood, a royal priesthood. And, and I think as, as we read Malachi's words here, although addressed specifically to the priests, in a broader sense, it's addressed to all of us. And he's talking to them, as Lauren just read, about what happens when we turn away from God, when we get off the path that God has us on. Wrong turns can be devastating, right? Have you ever made a wrong turn? You ever followed GPS and it was wrong? You ever done that before, right? Have you ever not followed GPS? I know where I'm going, honey. Tracy, put your hand down. Okay. Uh, 
yeah, uh, we, we've made those turns, right? Wrong turns can be devastating. In fact, I, I have a few examples for you uh, this morning. Um, some of you might remember this wrong turn by a runner in the Boston Marathon. Her name was Rita Reese. Can, can you put Rita's picture up here? 1980, uh, Boston, I've said Rita, Rosie, 1980, Boston Marathon, she set the record for the women's pace at the Boston Marathon. The problem was she had made a wrong turn and hopped on a city bus and got to the end. I could run a marathon if I rode the city bus for 20 miles of it. Uh, so uh, poor Rosie lost a lot. She lost a lot of fame. She lost endorsements and money and, of course, bore the shame of a wrong turn, right? Uh, how about this one? This is one of my favorites. Uh, this lady followed GPS, took a wrong turn off a country road, ended up in a cornfield. The GPS told her to go straight. When she hit the end of the cornfield, the GPS told her to take a left, and that's where she ended up uh, in a bunker. I thank the Lord I wasn't golfing there that day because I probably would have been in that bunker. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, what an what unfortunate turn there. Sometimes uh, a wrong turn can be more devastating. The Kim family, uh, this happened in Oregon when we were living out there. A family from San Francisco drove up to Seattle for Thanksgiving uh, on their way back to San Francisco down I-5, which is the highway that connects Canada to Mexico, drives through Washington, Oregon, and California, and they decided to cut over to the coast and to go to Gold Beach, Oregon, and take in the uh, redwoods of Northern California. James, Katie, and their two daughters missed the turnoff, and Katie, looking at a map, put them on another road. What they didn't know is it was an old logging road. Uh, and it was after Thanksgiving, winter was already settling in the mountains, and as they tried to navigate, uh, they got stuck, they tried to back up, and it just turned into a nine-day ordeal. Uh, Katie and the two girls lived, uh, James did not. On day eight, he left the vehicle in a desperate attempt to find help, and on day nine, helicopters finally located their car and their family the, the, the girls were saved, but James was found a couple days later, 15 miles uh, from the car and had passed away. Devastating what one wrong turn can lead to, right? The historian uh, wrote a very interesting piece that I read this week. It said, one wrong turn that killed 100 million people. And I was like, is this a, like, is this a joke? What, what's, what's going on here? He's a historian who looked at the First World War and the assassination of, the, of Archduke Ferdinand. Now, those of you who remembered your history or have studied it or enjoy it, stay with me. Those of you who don't, we'll get out of here in just a second, okay? So just hang tight. Uh, but a lot of people believe that the start of World War I, as tensions were rising, began when Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated. But what's interesting about it is the man who was sent to assassinate him chickened out. And he decided not to go after the archduke and his wife. And after he chickened out, he ended up at a cafe where he was drinking a beer and eating a sandwich. And little did he know that the archduke and his wife, who were navigating the city they were in, actually took a wrong turn. Their driver took a wrong turn and ended up in a street with all this congestion and realized the situation was a little volatile. So as he tried to maneuver his vehicle to get out of there, it stalled. And you can imagine the assassin's shock when he looks out the window of the cafe and there is the stalled car with the archduke and his wife in it. 
And the man who had previously chickened out left the cafe and from point-blank range practically uh, shot the Archduke and his wife. Now, many people believe that was the trigger to World War I, and, and you just follow the history of, of Germany uh, ending up having to pay reparations to all the winning armies, right, and this fierce nationalism that grows in them, and, and then the Great Depression, which hit Europe and especially Germany very hard and really escalated in what? World War II. And this guy says how one wrong turn ultimately culminated in all of that destruction. Now, whether that's just, it is speculation. We don't know what would have happened had that assassination not taken place. But a wrong turn can be pretty devastating, can't it? And here, the prophet says to the people, you have turned from God's way. And you and I would be wise to listen this morning at how devastating it could be to turn away from God. And what that can mean, the wake that can be left behind in our lives and in the lives of those close to us when we make a wrong turn away from the Lord. And so we pick up in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. What happens when we turn from God's path? Well, the first thing that we see, and, and really is a continuation of last week's message, is our worship becomes worthless. When we turn away from God, when we choose our own path, our worship is absolutely worthless. Uh, back up to chapter 1 here. Let, let's look at a couple verses here in chapter 1. And then I promise we'll get to chapter 2, okay? Uh, look at verse 12 with me uh, of chapter 1, right where Pastor Craig left off last week. Now, but you profane it. The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. And this morning I'm reading from the NIV, so it might read a little differently than yours. But uh, the worship of the Israelites had just become worthless to God. And there was absolutely no value in it. In fact, this word is funny. The NIV says you sniff at it. Uh, others of your translations have different words there. Uh, picture uh, your children when you tell them to clean their room, and they're like, oh. That, that's the expression here, okay? In our house, it would be whenever I have a good dad joke. You ever have any of those? And your kid's like, oh, right? No, they're good. They're good. They just don't appreciate them yet. But uh, that, oh, that, that's what it is. They come to the Lord's table. They come to worship. and like, oh, worship is worthless when we turn from God. Uh, worship has no value. In fact, uh, jump into chapter 2 now. Let's go to verse 3 here of chapter 2. Uh, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? Back in Leviticus chapter 8, if you're taking notes, you just write this down. Look this up. It's pretty interesting. Leviticus 8, 17, it's also again repeated in Leviticus 16, is uh, when the sacrifice was done uh, and, and the animal was to be burned as an incense, as a fragrant offering to the Lord, the intestines, the insides of the animal, the dung, all the intestines, all of that stuff was taken out along with the hide, and it was taken outside the city. That wasn't presented to the Lord. And so here God says uh, of their worship, he says, you know the innards, you know the dung, you know all of that remains? He goes, I'm going to smear your face in it. And then you, because now it's on you, will be carried out of the city. 
you'll be taken out of, the, out of my presence because their worship had become absolutely worthless. When we turn from God, when we choose our path, because ultimately that's it. We either are following the Lord or, or we are choosing our own path. When we turn from God, when we step away from his path for our lives, when we decide our way is the best way, our, our worship to him is worthless because we have elevated ourselves above him. And wasn't that the first sin? Wasn't that Satan's sin? That he sat there and he, and he looked at Jesus and he said, I don't want to be under him anymore. Isaiah and Ezekiel tell us that his sin was he looked at Jesus and said, I want to be above him. I want him looking up to me. Pride was found in his heart. And isn't that what we do when we choose our path? We say, God, I know you created the whole universe and you got all this figured out, but I think I know better. You ever had a two or three-year-old throw a fit in the store because they thought they knew better? You ever been that parent? That's a hoot. <laughs> yeah. Carrying them out, they're screaming, and you know someone's calling the police on you. And you're just like, all I did was tell them they couldn't have, you know, a piece of gum. Ah, right? That's what we are before God when we choose our own path. And when we do, our worship is worthless. I don't care how passionately you sing here on Sunday morning. I don't care how generously you give when the offering plate goes by. If you have chosen your own path, that worship is worthless before God. That's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? I was in fourth grade, and I won $1,000 out of a box of Captain Crunch. I've had Captain Crunch every day since then. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, that would not be good. Uh, and, and I remember uh, when I finally got the check in fourth grade, I'd never seen that much money in my life. Went to the bank, we cashed it, and they gave me 10 $100 bills. And, uh, and, I, and my parents had raised us to always give to the Lord. And I remember my mom and sitting down with me, my mom and dad saying, hey, what are you going to do with the money? And I, she said, what are you going to do with your $1,000? And I said, I only have 900 mom. I'm going to give 100 to the Lord, and that's how we were raised. Now, I remember the morning in church, I had told all my friends that I was putting $100 in the offering plate. That was a big deal for this fourth grade boy. I remember as the offering plate came down, they're all watching me, and I enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> I pulled out my Oakland A's wallet, Velcro. I opened it very slowly, you know. And I started thumbing through it as if I didn't know what I was looking for. Like, whoop, oh, yeah, the $100 bail. Chung, 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 chung. As it passes, like, you know. I mean, what's that about? You know, that, that's about me. That was in that moment, even as I was growing in my walk with the Lord, I was learning the difference between an offering that's pleasing to God and one that was all about me, right? And, and, and I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you do here if you're choosing your own path. Your worship is not pleasing to the Lord. It's worthless. And, and to emphasize it, he says, I'm going to bury your face in dung and kick you out. We don't want worthless worship, and we'll get to that in a little bit. What happens when we take a wrong turn? What happens when we choose our path instead of God's? Our worship becomes worthless. But secondly, our labor becomes fruitless. Our labor becomes fruitless. 
I hope it's all of our desires to do our work like Colossians 3.17 says, unto the Lord, so that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But when we choose our own path, when we follow our lead, our our labor becomes fruitless. Uh, uh, If you would like to, turn in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy. I want you to see uh, what God uh, said to the Israelites at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, beginning in verse 15. And and you remember, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. And and Moses had the Israelites, six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on another, and they recited the blessings and the curses uh, of following the Lord and being obedient to him. And listen to what he says, beginning in verse 15. However, uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and you do not carefully follow his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And the list is brutal. But I want you to jump down to the end of this section. Look at verse 29 with me. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. There will be no spiritual fruit in our lives. Now, I know, and I think specifically, the prophet is talking to the Israelites about the land, about the offspring. In fact, look at what the prophet says here back in chapter 2. Verse 2, if you do not listen and you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. A direct reference, I believe, to Deuteronomy 28. When he said, I I will send a curse on you, the Israelites knew what that was because they knew the blessings and the curses. And and the blessings were for a fruitful land, for numerous offspring, and and clearly there's a specific application there uh, to the Israelites. But you and I, according to 1 Peter 2, are are a priesthood of believers, this royal priesthood, Peter says, who offer spiritual sacrifices to God. I believe that when we choose our own path, we become spiritually fruitless. Our neighbors don't see Christ in us. Our coworkers don't wonder what's different about who we are. Our employers, our employees don't see Jesus walking around the office. Our classmates and teammates just think we're like one of the guys, one of the girls. Because we're spiritually unproductive. We've chosen our own path. We've taken Jesus out of the equation. And here Malachi sternly warns this prophet, obviously speaking the words of God, says, don't you get it? When you choose your own path, you can't be spiritually productive. Your worship is worthless and your labor is fruitless. Just think of those words in Deuteronomy 28, 29. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Without question, what a stern warning to those of us in the pastorate. Oh, that we would labor for God's way. And yet for every one of us, a priesthood of believers, that we would choose God's path and be spiritually productive in what we do. That we would live such lives among the Gentiles, Peter says, that they would want to know the reason for the hope that you have. 
if people aren't asking you about your life, is it possible? It's because you're living your own path. Malachi would certainly say it is. Because when we choose our own path, our worship becomes worthless. Our labor becomes fruitless. And lastly, look at verses 8 and 9 with me, which Lauren read so well just a few moments ago. You have turned from the way. There it is. And by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways, but you've shown partiality in matters of the law. The, the, the last thing I think we see in this passage is our message becomes powerless. We, we have no message of hope when we have chosen our own path. This might shock some of you, but you actually have no power to change people's lives for the good. Only through Jesus, amen? amen. And when we preach that message in him crucified and risen again, there's power. But when we choose our own path, we rob the message of its power. I, I love what he says there. You have caused many to stumble. Oh, how many times have we caused others to stumble because we're on our path and not the one God has for us? What a terrible indictment. Our worship is worthless. Our labor is fruitless. Our message has become powerless. I was in uh, seventh grade, and we were at a weekend retreat. And uh, my youth pastor, Bob Smith, about as plain a name as you can get right there, uh, was a guy I looked up to. In fact, I believe I went into youth ministry. God used Bob in my life to direct my heart to youth ministry. I, I, I wanted to be like Bob. And, uh, and I remember in seventh grade, we had this weekend retreat, and uh, we had a youth group about 35 junior hires, so 35, 40. And I invited a bunch of friends. 14 unsaved friends showed up that weekend. I didn't tell Bob that they were coming and you can imagine the shock when I brought another van full of kids that he was unprepared for. But being a great youth pastor, he just rolled with it. And it wasn't until years later when I visited him at a, when he was at a church in California. He's like, do you remember when you brought 14 unsaved kids to a church retreat and didn't tell me? <laughs> Not until right this moment, Bob. <laughs> Valuable lesson I learned that weekend. <laughs> But, but that, that weekend, uh, we, we had dinner on the last night, and we were getting ready to go out to the campfire, and Bob said, hey, I want you to share your testimony at the campfire. I had all these friends there, and, and Bob wanted me to take advantage of this moment, and oh, I, I took advantage of the moment, uh, but probably not the way Bob had hoped. And uh, Bob finished playing, and we were singing. He played his guitar, and <laughs> we got done. And, and he said, hey, I've asked Joe to give his testimony, and so I sat there. Just as serious as I could be, looking at the fire. And I was like, man, my life uh, was pretty messed up. I didn't look at Bob because I knew he might kill me in this moment, right? I said, man, I, w I was in gangs and stuff. Seventh grader, okay. Um, I was doing drugs. <sighs> it, there's a couple girls that are starting to tear up. Right, girls that know me and knew this wasn't true, <laughs> and they're still tearing up. And I was like, oh, finally, at the age of four, God got a hold of my life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
And everybody burst out laughing. Ah, you know, I had this great moment, you know, and everybody's just laughing. Like, ah, you know, and then Bob played a song and everybody was dismissed. And as I'm walking away, Bob grabs me by the back of my shirt. And it was the kind of grab that, you know, this might be my last day on earth, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Tell my mom I love her, Bob, okay. Uh, and, and he pulls me aside and, and, and as stern and as loving as a shepherd sometimes has to be, he said, don't you ever do that again. He goes, when God brings someone from death to life, it is beautiful. And you missed an opportunity to share that message tonight. Don't you ever downplay the work of God in your life. Whew. As a seventh grader, I knew exactly what Bob meant. My message was powerless that night. I preached Joseph Castaneda. Woo! I should have preached Jesus Christ. I got the initials right. I got the name wrong, right? When we follow our own path, the message is robbed of its power. The message is robbed of its power because it's robbed of Jesus. Malachi has stern words. Follow your own path. Your worship becomes worthless. Your labor becomes fruitless. Your message becomes powerless. By contrast, look what happens when we hold course. Let me read to you a few verses. Verse 5. My covenant was with him, with Levi, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Now, I don't think he's speaking necessarily specifically of the man Levi, but of the tribe, of the ideal of the priesthood. And we can go back again if you're taking notes. These are interesting passages to write down. Uh, the first is Exodus 32, beginning in verse 25. Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, with all the law, and he gets down there, and remember, the people are going crazy, celebrating and worshiping what? God? No, the golden calf. And, and enraged, Moses comes down, and they are just, it's crazy what's going on right there. And he says, anyone who's for the Lord, bring your sword and stand by me. And who came forth? The tribe of Levi. And that day, God made a covenant. He says, you protected my holy name. Later, in Numbers 25, beginning in verse 7, there's a vile story of Israelites who are intermarrying with the Midianites that they were forbidden to do. And one man, as Moses and the elders are before the Lord, repenting of the sin, one man walks right through their midst with the Midianite woman, takes her into his tent, and he begins to make love to her in his tent, defiling the camp. And Phineas son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, takes a spear, pierces them both, and God says, you preserved the honor of my name. And, and that's the contrast here. It's these people who are defiling God, defiling the altar. Uh, they are full of this, these vile, sinful acts. They've chosen their own path. And here's Levi. Here's Phineas who chose the path of God because they revered his name. On our own path, our worship becomes worthless. On God's path, our worship exalts the name of God. 
And he just said it in verse 6, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry. Gave, uh, this called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. When we choose God's path, our worship exalts him. Our gifts exalt him. Our songs exalt him. Our silence exalts him. It reveres his name. In contrast to the Israelites whose face was rubbed in the dung and sent out of the camp, those who follow God's path lift up his name. When we follow our own path, our labor is fruitless. When we follow God's path, our labor produces righteousness. Again, verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Uh, Our labor produces righteousness. Uh, It says, I love it, walked in peace and uprightness. It it brings to mind to me Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, uh, the writer of Hebrews begins by saying, hey, get rid of everything that, that hinders your walk with God so that you can run the race marked out for you. So you can run on the path, you can stay on the way that God has for you. And he talks about that it's very challenging sometimes. Running is hard. I hate running because it's hard. I never hit a runner's high. My runner's high happens when I stop, and it's like, hallelujah, okay? Running is hard, right? But at the end of Hebrews 12, he says, when we hold course, when we navigate the tough times, he says, God will produce what? A harvest of righteousness and peace. For those who have held course. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Hold course. And when we do, uh, our labors produce righteousness and peace in our lives and in the lives of those around you. It's amazing how much a team can be changed by one team member who will stand up and live for Christ, even among the godless. A school a city council, a business. Entire nations were turned to God because one person said, I will stick to the path of God. And righteousness and peace are the fruit of those who follow him. Levi, Phineas, they were men who held the path and righteousness and peace followed. When we follow our own path, our message becomes powerless When we stay on the path God has for us, our message becomes life-changing. I love the end of verse 6. Remember earlier we saw many were turned away. Look what happens in verse 6. And many were turned from sin. Many were turned from sin. Even go at the end of chapter 1, look at verse 14. I think it's fascinating. Right at the end of Chapter 1, verse 14, he says, For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. When we stick on God's path, even the nations see God in us. Our message becomes life-changing. Because of who we are, God forbid, right? But because of who God is living in us. When we choose that path, we say, God, I'm going to stay connected to you. God, I want to follow you. God, it's going to be hard. And when I 
trip up and stumble. I, I'm gonna, I want you to help me get back on the path because when I follow you, there's life change through the message. My life becomes a message of life change. People can look at me and go, how did he do that? And I can say, because of Jesus. It's in Matthew 5, Jesus said, that men will see your good deeds and what and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what happens when we stay on God's path. And the contrast here in Malachi is so strong. We follow our path, our worship is worthless. We follow God's path and our worship lifts up the name of God. On our path, our labor is fruitless. There's no spiritual evidence that we belong to Jesus. But on God's path, our labor produces righteousness and peace. On our path, the message is powerless. In God's path, the message, your life message, is life-changing for those who meet your Savior. Hold course, Hebrews 12 would tell us. Stay on the path that people would see your good deeds and know your Father in heaven. We started this morning by looking at four pictures of people who took a wrong turn. This last image is one of a, a group of men led by Ernest Shackleton. He was a sailor who wanted to be the first to get to the true South Pole. And he led an expedition uh, in a ship called the Endurance. And if you've never read the book, outstanding. One of my favorite books of all time. Uh, they didn't make it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> they didn't make it. Uh, in fact, disaster struck. And before long, just fighting for survival, they end up on Elephant Island. And uh, there they hunker down for a very long time, months, just trying to survive off the land in Antarctica. Okay. They finally took a break, and putting together the remnant of a ship that they were, uh, uh, like a lifeboat they were able to salvage, they called it the James Caird, and they took off from Elephant Island knowing their only hope was to get to a small little whaler's island uh, in the South Georgia Islands. Uh, six men took off on this journey, and uh, to this day, it is called one of the greatest open ocean navigational feats in history. Uh, the navigator uh, put them on a course for the island, and they endured some of the worst storms possible. In fact, it's said of the South Seas that they are the worst seas that you can travel, and they got the worst of the worst. A at times, according to Shackleton's journal, waves were 20 and 30 feet above their little boat, crashing down on them. But their navigator kept them true. And even in the clouds, when the sky would not show the sun or the moon or the stars, he kept them true. And they made it to the South Georgia Islands. And uh, in a season shortly after, waiting for the thaw, they were able to rescue the rest of his crew on Elephant Island because they held course. What course are you following today? Are you following the one that you've mapped out? Are you following the one the Lord has mapped out? It's disastrous for you. It's disastrous for me spiritually when we take a wrong turn from God's course. Hold course for righteousness and peace, for a message that changes lives, for worship that lifts up God, 
old course. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this stern reminder to hold course. God, that righteousness and peace would be in our lives because we are following the path you've laid out for us. God, we don't want worthless worship. We don't want fruitless lives. We don't want a powerless message. That's what we get when we follow our path. Help us to commit anew this morning to follow the path you have for us, to revere your name, to see righteousness and peace and a message that's life-changing because it's all about your son. In his name we pray, amen.